Chapter 6 of Biography of Muhammad Jiba Kwakwa by Samuel Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6. Marriage Ceremonies, etc. When a young man wishes to marry, he selects a choice fruit called Ganran, and sends it by his sister or some female friend to the object of his choice. If the fruit is accepted, he understands that he will be favorably received, and remains at home for about a week before he pays her another visit. After some time spent in visiting and receiving visits, arrangements are made for the marriage ceremony. They do not have a particular day set, and the wedding at the bride's father's, but she is kept ignorant of the time. The arrangements are made by the bridegroom and her parents. At the time appointed, the bridegroom sends a number of young men to the house of her father at night. They remain out of doors very still and send a child in to tell her someone wishes to speak with her. She goes to the door and is immediately surrounded and carried off by the young men to a place called Nyawa Kwafu, where she is kept six days. During this time she remains veiled and has a number of female friends with her who spend their time in play and amusements. The bridegroom, in the meantime, confines himself at home and is attended by his young friends, who also spend their time in feasting and merriment until the seventh day. Whilst they are thus confined, a general invitation is given to the friends of both parties. The invitation is made in this way. It will be said that, My Achi and Adita in Kwa Hunu Yoha Kuna, which signifies that the bride and bridegroom are going out today. They all meet at some convenient place named for the purpose. The friends of the bridegroom conduct him there, and the friends of the bride conduct her also, both bride and groom having their heads covered with white cloths. A mat is prepared for them to be seated. The friends advance and salute the bridegroom, at the same time handing him some money. The money is then placed before the couple, who are thus considered men and wife. Money is likewise scattered for the drum king and his company, also for the children of the populace to pick up. After this, they are conducted to the house of the bridegroom. The ceremonies are thus brought to an end. It ought to have been stated that the favor of the lady's father is obtained by presence. Polygamy is practiced to a great extent and sanctioned by law. A man's property is sometimes estimated by the number of wives he has. Occasionally a poor man has a number of wives, and then they have to support him. When a rich woman marries a poor man, as is sometimes the case, he never has more than one wife. Muhammad's mother was a woman of rank and wealth. His father had been a wealthy man. He was a traveling merchant, carried his merchandise on donkeys, and had slaves to accompany him. But by some means, he lost the greater part of his property, and at the time of his marriage was comparatively poor. He consequently had but one wife. This is another reason why it is supposed he was of Arabian birth, as many of the Arabs travel in this way to gain property. The women in Africa are considered very inferior to the men, and are consequently held in the most degrading subjection. The condition of females is very similar to that in all barbarous nations. They never eat at the same table with the men, 
or rather in their presence, they having no tables, but in separate apartments. When a person dies, they wrap the body in a white cloth and bury it as soon as possible. After the body is laid out facing the east, the priest is sent for, and a religious ceremony performed, which consists of prayers to Allah for the soul of the departed. The manner of burying is to dig a place in the ground several feet deep and ten or twelve feet horizontally, in which they deposit the body and close up the entrance with a large flat stone. Other ceremonies are also performed by the priest over the grave. Great lamentations are made for the dead, by loud and bitter cries and wailings, which continue for six days. The friends of the departed shut themselves up for that space of time, holding meetings for prayer every night. The seventh day, a great feast is held, and the term of mourning ends when the family appears as usual. The Africans are a superstitious race of people, and believe in witchcraft and other supernatural agencies. Bodies of light, something after the manner of Ignus Fatuus or Will-o'-the-Wisp, are often seen on the hills and high places, which move fitfully about. These phenomena are supposed to be evil spirits. They have a strange appearance from a distance, and with less ignorant people than the Africans might be taken for a very different object. They are much larger in appearance than the jack-o'-lanterns of Europe, and seem to proceed from the extended arms of a human being. When they suppose any person is bewitched, they consult their astrologer, who consults the stars, and by that means trace out the supposed witch, which generally happens to be some poor decrepit old woman whom they take and put to death. This practice seems to be very similar to what was formerly practiced in the eastern states, in most parts of old England, and indeed generally throughout Europe in days gone by. Indeed, in many parts of old England, in small, isolated towns and villages, the same thing is done at the present day. Of course, all such notions have their origin in the grossest ignorance, hence the necessity of educating the masses of the people in every part of the world. There is a class of men called medicine men, whom the people suppose nothing can hurt. These men have the office assigned them of putting to death these supposed witches. They are called unbas, and are scattered all about the country, go in a state of nudity, eat swine's flesh, and are considered by the Mohammedans as a very wicked people. It is customary for the Mohammedans to wear a loose kind of trousers, which are made full at the bottom and are fastened round about the hips by a cord. A loose robe is worn over this, cut in a circular form, open at the center, sufficiently large to put over the head, and allowed to rest on the shoulders with loose sleeves, the neck and breast being exposed. The women wear a cloth about two yards square, doubled corner-wise, and tied around the waist, the tie being made at the left side. The king's dress is made in a similar style, but of more costly materials. Children do not wear much clothing. The trade carried on between Zugu and other parts of the country is done by means of horses and donkeys. Salt is brought from a place called Saba. They exchange slaves, cows, and ivory for salt. This journey occupies about two months, generally. Occasionally, European goods are brought from a shanty, 
but they are very costly. Most of the articles used are of home make. Earthenware is made out of clay. They have a nice red and white clay, but the articles they make are very coarse, as they know little of that kind of manufacture, indeed hardly of any other. They have strange notions concerning the white men. Their notions are very vague and dreamy concerning them. They suppose they live in the ocean, and that when the sun goes down it warms the water, so that the white people cook their food by it. They consider the white people superior to themselves in every respect, and fear to make needles, as they imagine that the white men can look through an instrument and see all that's going on, and they believe the white man is very angry with them for making needles. They fear very much when thus occupied, and would not be seen by the white man at such a time could they help it for all the world. When they are busy at needle-making, they of course imagine that they are being looked at. Of course, this arises from the belief that they are wrongfully engaged, and the same as throughout the whole human race, when a supposed wrong is being perpetrated, fear takes possession of the mind. This is but natural to all mankind. They imagine, for making needles, the whites have the power to put out their eyes. On account of such notions prevailing, of course needles are not made to any great extent, but still some are found hardy and daring enough to make them notwithstanding. From when such notions sprang, we cannot very well explain, but the all-seeing instrument is no doubt our telescope, which at some time or other has been exhibited likely by seamen who have travelled in some parts of Africa, and the stories circulated by the wandermongers of the sable tribe. Wars in Africa are very frequent, the country being divided into so many divisions or petty kingdoms. The kings are continually quarrelling, which quarrels lead to war. When a king dies, there is no regular successor, but a great many rivals for the kingdom spring up, and he who can achieve his object by power and strength becomes the succeeding king. Thus, war settles the question. Slavery is also another fruitful source of war, the prisoners being sold for slaves. The weapons used are bows and arrows, guns, and a kind of knife or short sword of home manufacture. This knife or sword is worn in time of peace as sidearms, as well as in time of war. The Africans never go unarmed. Sometimes great numbers are killed in the wars, but never so many as in European and other countries. Their prisoners are treated very cruelly. They flog and otherwise abuse them, until an opportunity occurs of disposing of them as slaves. They drink considerably before going to battle, in order to strengthen them and instill them with courage and daring. Of course, this has no reference to those professing Mahomedanism, as they use no kinds of intoxicating drinks on any occasion. Sometimes whole cities are destroyed, and the country round about laid waste when famine ensues. This, alas, is too often the consequence of war, wherever it is practiced, not only in Africa, but in all parts where the bloody strife is engaged in. When the gospel with its beauteous truths are fully understood and appreciated by the people generally, peace and goodwill shall reign supreme, and wars and rumors of wars shall be no more forever. How strange 
that nations boasting of enlightenment and the power of the glorious gospel of Christ to govern them should so engage, hand to hand and foot to foot, in such scenes of carnage and destruction. How can Christian nations so engaged ever think to succeed in their mission of converting the heathen, when their practices at home are so much at variance with the blessed truths set forth in the sacred volume? Let the Christian spirit and the spirit of war array themselves in everlasting opposition, and the day is not far distant when the wilderness shall blossom as the rose with flowers fitted for the garniture of peace and holiness. Christians and those professing the doctrines of the gospel should do all in their power to banish war. Then would their yoke be easy and their burden light, and the work of conversion would go rapidly on. Slavery in Africa The greatest source of misery to Africa is her system of slavery, which is carried on to a fearful extent. But domestic slavery in that country is nothing when compared to this, but the trading of slaves is very horrible. Slaves are taken from the interior and hurried to the coast, where they are exchanged for rum and tobacco, or other articles of merchandise. This system of slavery causes much bloodshed and consequent misery. Mahoma was once taken prisoner and sold, but was redeemed by his mother, but more of this in the proper place. End of chapter 6